Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat It, it up. up. Today's episode, I am so excited for. I've been wanting to do it for weeks and um, thought that we had to do it right. Wanted to be able to put in the time to do the research. Not that I necessarily did, but this week we are covering Princess Diana. Oh, the people's princess. She's practically buzzing, love. She's proper buzzing <laughs> about this topic. That's me doing like Love Island. No, but keep it up the whole way through. Like I want your commentary all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I definitely can maintain that accent. And so everyone, this is Eat It Up. As you know, the podcast where we talk about snacks that we buy from our local neighborhoods. And then we also chat bites of history. So this Delish. week, what are you snacking on, Sam? <laughs> Thanks. Delish. Um, why? Unsolicited <laughs> comment. I am eating chocolate cake from Wild Oat Bakery in Ottawa. It's in the Glebe. Oh, yeah. On Where, what is the Glebe? What does that mean? Um, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Like, I've only been in Ottawa for a year and it was a pandemic, so I, I've <laughs> never really left my apartment. But I, it's like a neighborhood. Okay. It's like, it's like south of center town. Does Glebe um, stand for something or it's just, that's just what it's It's just called. the Glebe, like G-L-E-B-E, like it's an area. I think it's kind of trendy. Never, again, never been. Um, <laughs> again, so never I, I stepped foot. <laughs> I don't really know what it's like, but cool. yeah, it's the Glebe, so. Um, and so this chocolate yeah. cake of yours, is it, can you show it to me? Is it Oh, sorry. Chocolate? Yeah, you haven't seen it here. And not that the viewers will never see it unless they go on the Instagram. Oh, which we orange. encourage you to do yeah it's um it's just like a classic like chocolate base chocolate icing the icing is so fucking good which is as it? we know icing is the make or break make or break yeah as we always say on this pod it's make or break for cakes <laughs> um and so i don't want to yeah give it away but it's it's making it in a big way for me so oh amazing so that's that's my snack what's your what's your bite this week this week, I decided to get really fancy, and I got high tea from Neverland Tea Salon. Oh, snap. Okay. Yes. And so I've never been, I've only done um, like teas once or twice in the area, but yeah. never been to Neverland. Right. And they, because right now Vancouver's patios only are open, but I still, like, I'm not eating on patios, so I was doing takeout. <gasps> Neverland Tea Salon is really cool because what they have right now is for each of their high teas you can order them to go, but they have mm. like for their regular high tea, it's like, it's just their regular one. But below that, it'll be like vegetarian, gluten-free and vegan. But yeah, you can select like your option within each of them, which is really fun. Right. So I got their vegetarian one. There's one where you can pay $5 more and they'll actually give you like a biodegradable, like three tier plate and cutlery and stuff. Oh my God. Okay. But that would be like, I think like if, like I brought it home to eat. So I just, I just used whatever I had, right? But right. I'm really excited for it, like to have. And, and like, why nice did tea. you pick high tea? I picked high tea because I figured what could be more symbolic of the British royal family right. than high tea. <laughs> oh, sorry, I literally forgot you've already revealed what the episode is. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was giving you a segue, and then and I was like, oh no, we've we've already done this. We've, I picked a British accent. Yeah, we okay, never mind. I was they like, read it in the title. They, okay, all it's in the title. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my bad. No, but yeah, if it wasn't, I guess, apparent to people, Maria was thinking about that link. Yes. I chose chocolate cake because I like chocolate cake. That's about and it. That's valid. We have different priorities. <laughs> Maria's thinking kind of thematically and strategically about the pod. I'm. I'm just choosing to do what what brings me pleasure, the, the way to be my truest, <laughs> most authentic self. So. Right. Put your joy first. Yeah. So. Um, um, oh, also, we do have to talk really quick. 
in our last week's episode, I said I had a Bumble story and then we didn't really mm. get around to it. And I realized that almost none of you care, but <laughs> some mm-hmm. of you may be holding on to what this story was. So really quick, what it was is that on Bumble, I got it like a week and a half ago now and girls message first on Bumble. But once you message that person you matched with, they have to respond within 24 hours. And as the girl, you also only have 24 hours to send a message to them. Otherwise it expires. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of Mm -hmm. on a deadline. Right. So I had an hour left with this person I matched with. I was like, Oh, I'll send them a quick message, whatever. Just see how it goes. There's two options on Bumble. If you don't want to write your own message. The first is that you can do like a send a question and it'll like help you like send. You can pick from them a list of questions that helps break the ice. And I was like, Oh, I'm not really here for that. Then there's a say hi feature. And literally what this feature looks like on the button is say hi with a waving emoji hand. To me, that means that when I send it, it'll be like, hi, with a wave. That's what would make sense. What it actually does, um, as I unfortunately learned, was it sends a random gift that you don't choose. And so to this person, I have never spoken to before in my entire life. It sent a gif of Jimmy Fallon dancing saying, I'm back, baby. So cringe. Horrifying. And And I was thinking about it, Sam, like if I ever sent that gif to you, I would be embarrassed. And I've known you for Mm -hmm. five years. Like I would never. (laughs) No, to anyone really. Anyone. And even just like as a global kind of category of things, like, gifs or gifs or who cares they're kind of passe already like you know what i mean like even like just as like as a medium like they're like no one really sends gifs anymore unless like no no offense you're a millennial which is okay if you're a millennial that we love millennials on this podcast we love millennials you know many millennials but but um, if you're gen z trying to flirt with gen z you are not you don't send no you don't send a gift and especially when i'm jimmy fallon so i'm back anyways i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) And so, and then I sent immediately afterwards saying, oh my God, I'm sorry. I pressed this feature and that's what it sent. And he never responded. So that match expired and that's okay. Bridge bridge burned. (laughs) Bridge burned. And you know what? Understandably so. If I was in his shoes, I'd be like, "Mm." like that would be a a weird moment for me. So anyways, that's the story. There you go. It's kind of like how, um, I don't want to get into the episode too much, but it's kind of like reminiscent of like Lady Die. Like you're kind of Lady Die and- that's what I was saying. Maybe Charles. I don't know if there's a direct. Maybe Charles kind of... not appreciating my beauty, my talent. Yes. You know, yeah. and your your wit and so on. So. Yeah, exactly. So I think about me as the lady die in this situation. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm, la- I'm lady dies GBF. <laughs> Gay best friend. <laughs> I couldn't remember what that stood for, and I was like, like "What is what? GBF?" I love that. That you, if you ever have free time, you have to watch the movie. GBF gave us run. It's the, it's the worst Where movie that's it? ever been made. Is it on Netflix? Or I don't even at? know. I think I watched it in high school in like 2015 or 2014, and it's literally about like being the gay best friend. Anyway, that's the most toxic movie oh. I've ever seen. It's not funny. It's it's garbage. But if you want to hate watch a movie, watch GBF. It's like those things that really straight people enjoy, but people actually who are mm-hmm. gay are like, yeah, that's are like not. what? <laughs> it's like who made this? Um, it's like when we used to hate watch those terrible Christmas movies. Oh my gosh! What was it? The, the Christmas, Christmas Prince. Prince? Oh. And, and like the Christmas Prince 2 or whatever. And, and 3. And 3. And, and the Vanessa Hudgens ones. And like, the Vanessa anyways. Hudgens ones. Yes. A, a night, the night before Christmas. Yeah. Iconic. God. Yes. Well, okay. speaking of royalty. 
Let's do it. Okay, so we're gonna do background first as per usual, but I do wanna preface before we dive in, this episode is really not geared towards those of you who are obsessed with the crown, Mm -hmm. those of you who have been studying the royal family for years. I would love if you stayed and listened, but this episode is for those of us who are like, why is my mom so obsessed with Princess Diana? Mm-hmm. We're providing you a baseline knowledge. We're not getting into the nitty gritty. <laughs> yes, no. So I just need everyone to know that. But so Lady Diana Spencer, eventually the Princess of Wales or the People's Princess, she is so iconic because she breathed new life into the British monarchy at a critical time when many citizens viewed the royal family as being stuffy and outdated. So in the midst of Charles and Diana's whirlwind romance, Britain was experiencing really hard economic times. Hello, Miss Thatcher. How you doing? Mm. So unemployment was climbing to almost unimaginable numbers. There was disorder in the streets, riots in major British cities. Strikes were really bad. Garbage wasn't being taken off the streets. There were electricity blackouts all the time. Mm. And if you look at the images images of like Queen Elizabeth that were going around, they kind of were like defacing her in a weird way. Like she would have things like safety pins, like through her like lips and stuff. Mm. So there was this huge disdain for the Royal family, especially amongst people like kind of our age, like young 20 year olds. And when is that? Is this seventies, eighties? This would be in the, um, in the late seventies, early eighties. Okay, cool. And it's kind of when, what is it, like, punk rock kind of, like, that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. when, this is sort of, like, a big thing right there. Right. That, the, the, the least punk rock thing ever is me saying, this is the punk rock vibe going on. They're yeah. like, get out of here. They definitely <laughs> let you in. <laughs> and so, a growing part of the population at this time was really questioning, like, why are we supporting these spoiled aristocrats when we can't put food on the table? Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you have... Diana coming here, and she really represented the future of the British monarchy. Right. So more than 20 years since her tragic death in a car crash in a Paris underpass in 1997, when Diana was only 36, her legacy really still occupies a unique position in the British public consciousness, Mm -hmm. but also beyond. Like everyone here in North America, we know about her, like, and Mm -hmm. she is kind of this revered figure. Right. The extraordinary life of Diana not only humanized the British monarchy, but she captured the world's attention. And she learned how to harness that media frenzy to raise awareness of a number of like progressive charity causes. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, the fascination with Diana continues. Yeah. And that is our background. The only thing I'm going to add in is stick with the gaze. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. She was on RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> yeah, as a judge, no. As a judge, um, yeah. But I think it was because she was a big HIV-AIDS activist. Or not, yes. maybe not. I mean, I shouldn't say the word activist, but Oh, HIV no, we get AIDS. into it. She's a major yeah. queen. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... We're going to break from tradition here, just like Diana did, Um, because for details, we're actually not going to have a details and significance section today. We're going to combine the two. Wow. Um, Just because like learning why our parents and a lot of us now are so invested, 
in Diana kind of means combining the two together because it's hard to break them away from each other. It would sound really disjointed. Right. So we're kind of all doing it at once. We're doing free form just like Lady Di would do. (laughs) It's like poetry off the cuff. (laughs) If she were a guest on this pod, that's how she would tell her own story. Yeah, she would with a very like downward look with her eyes coming at you to the solo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So to break it down, we're going to discuss Diana by topics in a somewhat linear fashion. Okay, cool. But topic will be the focus first. So first we're chatting about the wedding. Okay. Then paparazzi marital issues, her being a style icon, and then finally her charity work, which I think is the most important. Cool, cool. So that's how we're doing it today. Nice. So let's start off with marriage or wedding. Okay. So Lady Diana Spencer, she was the first, first, first. First. First of her family. (laughs) I just developed a list. Yeah. Um, First British citizen to marry an heir to the throne in over 300 years. She definitely wasn't like an everyday commoner, though. She was the daughter of Edward John Spencer and Frances Ruth Burke Roche, the Viscount and Viscountess Althorpe. Naturally. Words that mean nothing to me. (laughs) You're like, okay, they're (laughs) nobility, but what does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Um, And she first met Charles when her family rented Queen Elizabeth II Estate Park House during Diana's childhood. And Charles, the reason they met is because Charles was briefly dating her older sister, Sarah, or Lady mm, Sarah. Right. Um, and then he shifted his interest to Diana, which at the time, if you consider it, it's sort of odd because Diana kind of first met him for reals when she was 16. Mm-hmm. She's significantly older than her. <laughs> right. So don't love that vibe. But anyways... Yeah. Diana was much younger than Charles when they first met. And when they married, she was only 20. Charles was 32. Right. So before they, the wild thing to me though, is before he proposed to her, he had only actually like met her and spent time with her 13 times. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's cuckoo. Absolutely not. Like I can't even, I can meet someone 13 times and not even know if I like them as a person, let alone someone mm-hmm. that I want to like, like marry. Jury's still out on that one. <laughs> I'll take some time. And so on their wedding day, on, like it was in July 1981, the spectacle seemed like a real life fairy tale. And right. it was ro- watched by roughly 750 million people around the world. Holy, okay. And although spotlights on royal weddings were nothing new, Diana commanded media and public attention in a distinct way. And also because like the, the previous like big royal wedding that happened beforehand was kind of Queen Elizabeth's. Right, right. So that was like way before even people had televisions. Now this could be something that we all sat down and watched. Right, where people had them in their homes and... Yes, exactly. And so it was like, Diana's like initial reason that everyone was crazy about her, it was like her youth and the fact that she worked part-time as a nursery teacher and lived in a flat in London with her girlfriends. It really Mm. suggests she was like this down-to-earth girl that all of a sudden was being transformed into a princess of this fairytale life. Right. And the British media, like, jumped on that right away. Right. And also, her addition to the royal family was seen as a major bonus for the family's public image because Diana was going to rejuvenate it. She was glamorous, and essentially, she was going to prove that the royal family wasn't massively irrelevant anymore. Right. So after their wedding, normally, the attention dies down a bit. Right. But that didn't really happen for Diana. And in fact, it definitely became more intense and something the family just really didn't have experience with at that point. 
Right. So for comparison, although the queen had been seen as a young and fresh face when she assumed her role in the 1940s, the yeah. family's relationship with the British media had changed in the years leading up to Diana's introduction. Right. So you had like advances in technology and communications, like we said, and it was also combined with this intense desire by paparazzi to capture the best photos of Diana. Right. And so she experienced a super invasive treatment right. that no one else in the royal family had any idea about. Right. They're not taking photos like that of Charles, okay? No, and you want to hear something crazy? It was like when Diana first started, or when she got engaged to Charles. Right. Charles was worried about Camilla. He was like, she's got paparazzi everywhere. And Diana was like, well, how many? Because people across the street have rented out the flat to take photos of me while I'm getting ready for bed. Right. And he goes, oh, well, Camilla says there's four people around her house. Oh, my God. And Diana was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Camilla is so, anyway, so desperate. Oh, so desperate. So anyways, um, Diana became the most fascinating woman in the world at a time when 24-hour news was being introduced into our lives. So it kind of like coincided. It was this perfect storm. Right. And although at the start it was absolutely overwhelming for her, later when I chat about her charity work, we'll talk a bit about how Diana did largely learn how to use the paparazzi to get important messages out to the public. Right. So she she eventually learned how to like use that for her own benefit. Right. Um, which of course we know from her revenge dress when she walked out after her divorce was finalized. Like that yeah. queen came out. Iconic. Burned into <laughs> my <it>. my mind. <laughs> So I was originally, when I was writing this all down, I was like, you know what? I want to focus on the parts of Diana that would make her memorable. Like why is she so important today? Which for me, I was like, it was her charity work, et cetera. Right. But I think there's this, there's this whole aspect of Diana there. There's, you can't separate that from her marriage with Charles. Like you have to talk mm-hmm. about it in a focus because yeah. people love a f- perfect fairy tale, but they love, more when that fairy tale crashes totally a tragic character yes so it's like you can't separate her her being an icon from this fact right 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 so let's talk about her and charles and their not great marriage yeah (laughs) so diana to put it simply was a superstar and charles wasn't (laughs) he didn't have the look he didn't have Um, it and Essentially, the future king of England, he wasn't thrilled that people just weren't obsessed with him anymore. Because prior to his marriage to Diana, everyone was like, oh, he's the most eligible bachelor in the world. When's he going to get married? And things like that. Yeah, people were crazy. There's this image of um, Charles. He used to have like this like little mustache. And I was like, that is the most horrifying look I have ever seen. He's not cute. You're like, you clearly are not the most eligible bachelor in the world. I was like, ladies, but so yeah. he, he had a lot of attention surrounding him and he would always do interviews and people were like, when are you getting married? Like everyone was obsessed right, with him. Right, 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 right. Okay. And then once Diana came, it was like, no one cares anymore. Right. And so there was kind of this transformation where Diana became the person everyone wanted to know and meet and Charles right. was forced to take the back seat. Did that make him jealous? Do you know? Super jealous. And it's portrayed okay. in The Crown. They do show it a bit, but kind of right. the one big instance that people talk about and remember in terms of this was yeah. shortly after William's birth, Charles and Diana, they flew to Australia with William, the way that, you know, Commonwealth vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was one of those pivotal paparazzi moments talked about in like many documentaries because 
when Charles and Diana were doing like their walkabouts, like through like the crowds and everything. Yeah. All everyone would flock to where Diana was. Oh no. And if Charles was there, they'd be like, where's Diana? Like they were shouting for <laughs> Diana and they would like people would push him out of the way to yeah. see her. And he at one point was like, it's too bad. I can't split her in half and like have her on both sides of me. Cause people only want to see her. Right. Um, and people like would get upset like when they would go through on like a carriage or something if they had chosen the side that Diana wasn't on they were disappointed they had chosen the wrong side right okay gotcha and so this so it aspect, made him a bit bitter bit bitter yeah <laughs> and he definitely has a lot of jealousy about it like it put a strain right. in their relationship because they were like no one really cared about seeing him anymore or were interested in what he was doing <laughs> right jealousy is um, a killer it really is. And then yeah. to top it off, I mean, this aspect of jealousy was never going to be great, but really the nail in the coffin was Camilla. <laughs> mm, we have so, to talk about Camilla. We got to bring her up. Yeah. So Prince Charles and Camilla, they reportedly met for the first time at a polo match at Windsor Castle in 1970. Right. But Charles left to serve in the Royal Navy in 1972, some places say 1971, but shortly after he was gone. Right. So during this time when he was out, Camilla married her first husband, Andrew Parker Bowles. Okay. So although Charles' feelings for Diana really, oh, sorry, Charles' feelings for Camilla, they really hadn't changed by the time he was engaged to Diana. Right. He knew that their relationship couldn't be maintained. Right. And so on the crown, it kind of shows as if they continued, they were still seeing each other like right from the get-go of him and Diana's marriage. Right. Some people are skeptical of that. They say that like they actually weren't together for a period of time. Right. Um, and that they weren't constantly seeing each other until about like 1986. Okay. So Charles and Diana got married in 81. And 81, it was like about okay. five years later that he and Camilla kind of started. Were really? Okay. Yeah. But supposedly. some people think, some people think it started right when they. Yes. Or even the, before they were married. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the reason like for that is kind of because people will say they were all at these events together and everything. But Camilla's husband was kind of like part of the royalty as well. Like he would be invited to these things. So it wasn't yeah. uncommon for her to be in the same place where Charles was. Right. Cause he, they so were noble. Yeah. They were noble. So it's like, mm-hmm. yes, she was kind of always around, but it wasn't particularly weird that she was. Right. Okay. But then also that whole thing on like their honeymoon, he wore like the cufflinks that Camilla had given him and stuff. So on Diane, on yeah. Diana and his honeymoon, he yes. wore cufflinks. Camilla. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> so. Oh my god. You know, you can understand how that might be upsetting to a new bride. <laughs> yeah. Um, we very okay. And so, 1986, Charles and Camilla like apparently properly began their affair, and obviously Diana knew about it. Like everyone knows that she knew about it. Yeah. But it wasn't until like the early 90s when an intimate transcript of a 1989 phone call between Charles and Camilla was made public, that it really kind of their fairy tale relationship shattered. Oh my God. So it like all of a sudden it was like the whole world knew and it was like officially confirmed for Diana. And what were like they saying to each other? Do you know? I don't know, but it it was bad enough that it it immediately led to both of their marriages falling apart. Like Camilla fell apart and Charles's fell apart. Right. So whatever it was, I don't know. Can you imagine Sorry. Like sexting? Yeah, I don't know why I'm like trying to get you to repeat like the things they maybe like 
sexed with each other, but... I don't actually... I'm not sure what was... I didn't look into it. Yeah, um, that's actually fair, because it's kind of immaterial, but... <laughs> I started doing all this research, and then at one point I was like, I'm not actually writing a story about Charles and Camilla here, though. Like, I like am... this is... That isn't even this, but it is right. fascinating. Okay. It is so, interesting, so it, so... So it leaks in 1990, this conversation they had in 89. It leaks in, I think it was 93 or so. It was early Oh, 93. 90s. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, okay. Um, and then... Camilla filed for divorce from Andrew in 95 and mm-hmm. Charles and Diana, their divorce was finalized in August 96. So okay. it was shortly thereafter, everything kind of came apart. Right. But especially like in the frenzy leading up to Diana's death, the end of her marriage to Charles and the intense focus on his affair with Camilla, it also like helped to paint Diana as like the symbol of like an unloved princess, you know, like it, right. it hyped her up a bit. Yeah. So moving on to her as a style icon though. Okay. So Diana, as we all know, was absolutely serving it with her looks. Yeah. She was stunning, demure, and had a style of her own, unlike anything people had ever seen from the royal family before. Mm-hmm. And she cut this perfect image that I thought it was cool. As somebody said, like, everyone could project some part of themselves onto. Like, it wasn't vastly unrelatable. Right, right. But it was still, like, this elevated form that it kind of withstood the test of time. Right. But I think, like, what's really cool is what set Diana apart was her ability to communicate with her clothing. And because if you think about it, like, the footage where Diana is actually speaking is really Mm -hmm. minimal compared to the amount of photographs we have of the princess. And yet we all seem to think that we, like, know what she was like. And that comes largely from what she wore and what she portrayed to us. Right, right, right. So, for instance, on, like, philanthropic visits, Diana would often choose to wear, like, cheerful, colorful clothes because she wanted to convey approachability and warmth. Right. She didn't wear gloves because she liked to hold people's hands. Right. And sometimes she would choose to wear chunky jewelry so children could play with it. Um, Diana never wore hat to children's hospitals because she said you couldn't like cuddle a child in a hat. It would like take away from it. Oh my God. Um, and she even played with textiles as a way to convey empathy. So if she was visiting hospitals for the blind, she would often wear velvet so that she could feel sort of warm and tactile for them. Right. Which, like, gives me goosebumps. Like, the fact that she, like, thought about She's that, that like, she really cared. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on top of that idea, she also was such a fashion icon because she had a knack for choosing pieces that suited her instead of only focusing on what was big at the moment. Right. And so because of that, a lot of what she wore back then still stands up today. Right, right, right. Which, like, you can tell, like, Biker shorts and sweatshirts, everyone wants to wear that right now. Yeah. I've been totally. looking at getting this sweater that she wore at Rowing Blazers that costs $450 Canadian. I've been wanting it for so long. And it's like, oh my God. that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, that's just a bit on like, that also added to her whole allure was the fact that right. she was just a gorgeous, well-dressed person. Right, right, right. But kind of like the most important things, I think, is that in the later stages of the 80s and up until her death in 97, Diana really took on a more high-profile role in activism and charity work. Right. And at one point, she was linked to more than 100 charities. So she really did the bit. Right. Um, She did choose to, like, cut ties with the bulk of them in 96 to lead more of, like, a private life following her divorce from Charles. Right. But she remained the patron of six charities until she died. Right. We're going to go through like a few of the big moments for her. There's obviously like, 
I don't really touch upon it, but she was also really big into advocating against like children's homelessness, like making sure that youth had a place to go. Right. Um, but there are like, we're going to touch on a couple of the big ones that she did here. Right. So in 97, just a few months before her death, Diana visited Bosnia and Angola. Mm-hmm. And there's like this incredibly popular photo where Diana donned protective equipment and walked across a landmine field in Angola. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, she drew international attention to a somewhat overlooked issue. And right. she ultimately raised the profile of the work being done to clear landmines around the world. Right. And her actions are widely thought to have helped propel ongoing negotiations around the United Nations Mine Ban Treaty. Right. Which was like a legally binding prohibition on the use, stockpiling, production, and transfer of landmines. Wow. Okay. And so she kind of. What's cool about Diana is that she knew whatever she kind of threw herself towards, it would gain a lot of attention and notoriety. Right. And so right, she made right. sure to like specifically choose things that needed her attention. Right. Um, another thing that was cool was that Diana remained the patron of the leprosy mission England and Wales until her death. So in a bid to dispel the myth that the illness could be spread by touch she was filmed in 1989, shaking hands and touching the bandage wounds of leprosy patients. Hi, Pebbles. Okay. I was like, what is that noise? I was like, who is that chunky monkey? Oh, hey, Pebs. <laughs> Looking okay. cute. Can you sit here quietly? Oh, okay. She was filmed in 1989, shaking hands and touching the bandage wounds of leprosy patients on her first visit to Indonesia. Right. And she was quoted as saying that by doing so, she was trying to show in a simple action that they, they are not reviled, nor are right. we repulsed. So it was right, kind of being right. like, you are a human, I'm a human, hello, kind of vibe. Right. And Diana continued to raise awareness about the severe skin condition by visiting leprosy hospitals and missions in Nepal, Zimbabwe, and India. Right. And I think like we'll talk about it more in a sec about when I talk about AIDS. But this aspect of touch is really something that Diana is now known for she seemed to like really understand the importance of human connection, which is something people really hadn't seen from the Royal family before. Right. Like even like talking about how she chose specific clothing items to ensure that wherever she was, people could get close to her or like feel her warmth is like, she was always very conscious of that. Right. Right. Um, And so that's why we'll talk a bit now before we get into AIDS about like her being the people's princess. Right. Okay. Okay. So the term was coined by British Prime Minister Tony Blair in a statement he made. It was like very shortly after her death and the British public were like, they were reeling from this information and they were upset because the royal family really hadn't said anything. The queen really hadn't released a statement. And so people just wanted like someone to say something and like acknowledge how horrible this was. Yeah. Right. And in his speech, he, he was trying to find a way that would convey like, who Diana was to all of them. And he said she was the people's princess. Right. And it came to like kind of perfectly embody how Diana interacted with people. Right. So for instance, like with the queen, when she was doing her Royal visits and walking through crowds of people, she would stay back from the crowd. Like she'll walk over to them, but there would still be a gap. Right. And she won't go like right up to the barrier and reach in and touch people. Right. And even like you see, like when she's like around children, like, not that she, she's not a dick, like she's not rude, yeah, but yeah. she'll like, <laughs> she'll take like if a child has flowers, she'll take it from their hand, say thank you and keep on walking. But yeah. she would never go to the barrier and like reach in and like shake hands with people or right. like, or like that level of interaction as much. Right. Whereas with Diana, it was completely different. 
like if there was a small child with flowers, she would go down to their level. Like she would bend down. Right. Um, and she was like very tactile with them. Right. Something right. that like other members of the royal family weren't doing. And the same thing, like she thought about her clothing when she was out meeting the public, like choosing things that would help her like be closer to those people. Right. And even when she would go to hospice, she'd sit on the edge of the bed and talk to the person in bed. Like she'd sit right, right where they were. Right. As opposed to like standing up and like glaring over at them. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so it just seemed like she was always trying to get on people's levels. And right. Everything. Um, which is weirdly <laughs> an aside. It's something we learn in like lifeguarding. It's like when you're trying to help someone, you need to like make sure that you're like standing up or sitting down with them wherever they're at because it allows yeah, them yeah, to yeah. Like, like feel safer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, in, in peer support training, that they always said that. Like if someone's sitting, like sit with them, like always be at yes. eye level with them, which yes, is funny. Yes, exactly. So Diana was Diana doing actually. <laughs> came up with that lifeguard training and the peer sports center training. They based it it on her. Um, And so I think for me, the most important was that at a time of widespread intense homophobia, when there was a great deal of stigma and misinformation around HIV and AIDS and people incorrectly thought that it could be transmitted just by touching, Diana played a huge role in dispelling these myths. Right. So the world was really terrified by the AIDS epidemic in the mid eighties. And back then it really was like a death sentence. Right. And I think the problem was like, people didn't really understand how it was transmitted. Yeah. And so what they latched onto was like, oh, it's about gay people. Right. But they didn't really get it. And then um, in one documentary, it was saying that like one in four doctors wouldn't treat patients with AIDS. Right. And so it was this very scary moment where people just thought that just by touching someone else, you would get AIDS. Yeah. But Diana, she really helped to work away some of the stigma surrounding the disease. Right. So in 87, Diana opened Britain's first AIDS ward in London, which only cared for patients with the virus. Right. Um, And it was there that she shook hands with an AIDS patient without gloves, becoming the first high profile celebrity to do so. Wow. in order to challenge the stigma that the virus could be passed by touch. Yeah. And I think like this kind of shows how Diana was very conscious of her role with the paparazzi. Right. Because she knew that at this moment, not only was it important just to be a human with this other person who was going through something right. very terrifying, but yeah, she just like, she understood the her role with the paparazzi and how she could kind of like y- use them for like her benefit almost right. or for like benefit of the causes she was supporting. Right, right, right. Um, and also in 1989, Diana took a solo trip to New York City, um, visiting children with AIDS at a Harlem hospital, and she was photographed hugging a seven-year-old boy with the disease. Right. Her involvement in the AIDS crisis, it changed the conversations surrounding the disease. Right. And it showed how Diana could leverage her celebrity on behalf of something she like really cared about. Right, right. And so a little bit less on the charity side of things, but still like very important, especially for the time was Diana's discussion of her eating disorder. Mm. So Diana ended up having a really profound impact on the royal family, speaking candidly in an interview with the BBC in 1995 about her marital problems with Charles, the affairs they'd both been having, how she was treated by senior royals. But also during this interview, she detailed that she had suffered from depression, bulimia, and self-harm during her marriage. And this interview was watched by 23 million people. Oh my God, okay. So, you know, like... For like, just like, it's still like an important interview with Diana, but just for like this interview to get 23 million people tuned in about it was pretty major. Significant, yeah. Yes. 
And the week after, so this is where Charles really doesn't get painted in a good light and rightfully yeah. so. But Diana said that like the week after Charles and Diana got engaged, he put his hand on her waist and he was like, oh, getting a bit chubby, are we? Oh my God. And that was like, that was it for her. That triggered her eating disorder. Right. And so that was, they got engaged in February and got married in July. And yeah. within that span of a few months, she went from a 27 inch waist to a 23 inch waist. Oh. And I have to say, I, okay. So I watched like one um, documentary where she talks about it. Yeah. And it's very much portrayed as a very hard, like really tough time. And it's not seen as like, anything positive she was like i had looked so frail like i was not okay right and then i watched this documentary done by like people magazine and they're like diana lost so much weight for her wedding she oh, God. perfect and i was like yeah she had freaking eating, eating disorder, disorder. yeah like, it's not like don't glamorize it no so i would recommend if you if you're watching one and they um it's the people one where they start hyping up her eating disorder. Just know that Diana didn't see it as a positive thing, nor should yeah, anyone see it as a positive yeah. It was BS. Jeez. But uh, to have Diana really openly discuss her eating disorder really challenged a major societal stigma. Right. And what it did was it allowed people who couldn't understand it to like finally like, empathize and be like, this is what it's like to live with bulimia. This is kind of like what, what triggered mine and what can happen and right. why it's so hard. Right, right, right. Um, but it also really led others who were going through the same experiences to seek help. Right. And apparently, like, leading up to her death, it led to a massive surge of people looking for support who had these mm-hmm. disorders. But mm-hmm. then, apparently, like, unfortunately, like, after her death, it, it dropped down again. Not as many people were looking for help. Right, but right. I think, like, she brought awareness to this thing of being, like, it's okay to seek help for this. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Diana's revelations in that interview and like she had like she had interviewed on a book that came out on that BBC interview, which like is a bit problematic apparently, but not really important. But yeah. She really reshaped the boundaries between public image and private affairs that the royal family had worked really hard to maintain. Right. And it inspired a certain amount of public disillusionment with the monarchy. Right. But I also think that it really helped the monarchy seem like real people (laughs) yeah 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 and you see that now like especially i think with kate and megan and everything it's like yeah we are allowed a a little bit more of a glimpse into their lives than we otherwise maybe would get right right but yeah so to kind of put it together on august 31st 1997 a car carrying diana and her boyfriend film producer dodi fayed was speeding away from the paparazzi when it crashed in a Paris underpass. Bayette and the driver died at the scene, and Diana died shortly afterward in the hospital. Jurors later ruled an inquest into her death that Diana was unlawfully killed by both the reckless driving of their chauffeur and the paparazzi who were chasing her. Right. There are, I was going to get into it, but then I was like, ah, it doesn't seem actually appropriate to do so. There's lots of conspiracies surrounding Diana's death. Right. was the it planned for exactly yeah and it was like charles couldn't marry camilla until this had whatever yeah honestly there's some of them that i'm kind of like willing to buy into like i'm not yeah. fully against them but yeah i just think that in this space that's not really what matters so right, right, right. anyways um yeah diana unfortunately yeah. died at the age of 36 wow yeah and so 
I have to say, as I learned more about her, and especially like the hype back when the crown first came out, like I kind right. of now get it. Like I get why. Get the hype. I get the hype of why everyone's mom is crazy about her. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, I got it too. Right? Like she just. Yeah. I like. I don't know that there's anyone right now who is able to combine all the aspects of her to the same degree. Right. You know, like there's people yeah. who are like, like let's think of the Kardashians, obviously, like, they're super well-known everywhere, but I wouldn't say they're revered. Like, they're not really (laughs) at that level of, like, respectability, nor are they doing, for the large part, the charity work. Like, they're not doing, like, what seems to be really life-lasting, meaningful things with their influence. Right. Whereas Diana did. She was at all, yeah. Yeah. Um, And she was, she was guided by her emotions, her heart, and she even came, someone, in an interview, they asked her, like, would you like to be queen? And she goes, I don't think they'd want me to be queen because Mm -hmm. I rule so heavily by, by my heart. Right. Instead of her head. I've seen that interview. Yeah. Or that clip. Yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) She connected with people and she fostered admiration for the crown that was long eroding prior to her arrival. Right. And I think that's why we're all so crazy about her still. Yeah. She's the people's princess. She's the people's princess. Yeah. Well, thank you, Marge. That was lovely. Yeah, sorry. And a good I, it, intro. It, it was um a long ramble, but... <laughs> no, it was good. I feel like it, you did a good job of, like, outlining kind of the, the key points in it. Because obviously right. you could go down a rabbit hole forever learning about yes. the ins and outs of the affairs and whatever. <laughs> but, like, I feel like you, you gave us a nice kind of overall picture of it. Thanks, love. Because I didn't really know... Yeah, I didn't know a ton about her, I must say. So. No, and, like, I have to say, like, my... Because I don't know if you know this, but essentially Elton John had written Candle in the Wind for Marilyn Monroe. But then at Diana's funeral, he like changed the lyrics um, for that like performance. So it was about her. Oh, and I didn't know that. My mom, like it came on once and she goes, you know, Diana, she was the people's princess. And I was like, how, like you weren't even in the Commonwealth when she was a big thing. Like, where yeah. were you wow. at? <laughs> wow. But she was a big deal. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Love it. That makes me like teary. I had to say I did get a little bit teary-eyed in certain parts um, about like just her empathy for others. It was very, yeah. it was very lovely to see. Totally. And I didn't, I have to say, I didn't mention William or Harry in this just because they're not, <laughs> they're yeah. like interesting now, but they're, they're not super relevant to why she, why she's such an icon. Like why she was a great yeah. mother. She was an amazing yeah. mother, but yeah, you know, they were not. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. But, how how is your how is your um your high tea? Very yummy. They did. Yeah. Oh my god, Sam! So there's a they. It comes with a citrus scone. Oh, with okay. Clotted cream and like fresh um jam, like strawberry jam. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so yummy. It's so really? good. I think you would. I think you would die for this scone. It's like and it has like thick um chunks of like sugar on top. Oh, which you it's, like? It's just so good. But also the it came with five little vegetarian sandwiches and I was a touch worried oh, at first okay. and I like pulled them out right because one of them especially I was like that's roast beef on a sandwich yeah, yeah. I was like shoot <laughs> like this is not the vegetarian one yes but what it was it was actually it was like this like vegan meat oh okay and it tasted pretty good I um I my favorite one I meant it was like they made like an egg salad but it was like a Thai curry egg salad so it was a bit spicy Right, right, Which right. is really yummy. And then yeah. they gave, um, I also had like four little desserts. 
Ooh, okay. Yeah. There this was, sounds like a nice little package thing. It really, it's a great package. I have to say, like, I think I want to get it for my birthday just to, like, celebrate me. I, I think, though, my recommendation would be that if you're going there and you're getting one, you need to not be hungry because okay. you're, if, like, if you're going with another person, you're only getting, yeah. like, one bite of each item because there's so many. I see. Okay. But it's like a snack. It's not like a... It's like a snack. Or right. you could get two, but then, like, just for, like, the one, it costs, like, $45. Yeah. So if you're each getting one, <laughs> yeah, it kind like of adds up very quick. The math. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But, yeah. Nice. And the little desserts are so yummy. Like, there's um a little chocolate mousse one, which I think you'd be crazy Ooh, about. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. So rating-wise, what would you give it? I think I will go back. What about, how's your chocolate cake? So good. I love it. The icing is literally amazing. Like it's, it's like perfect <sighs> icing, which I feel like is hard to come by. That's what, so, so what is it? Is it like, is it like tangy chocolate icing? Or no, it it's like, no, it's like, just like basic kind of, cho- it's just ch- chocolate, like pure chocolate, like not dark chocolate, like just like a regular chocolate oh, icing. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so like smooth and it's sweet, but not too sweet and like a great consistency and like cream yeah it's really good um the cake i would say is like slightly like i maybe wanted to be slightly moister but i like literally don't even care the icing is so good and there's so much of it that like i literally don't care at all so (laughs) yeah i would for sure if i like i'll for sure go back if i'm ever craving chocolate cake okay without a doubt so okay did what else did they have there um like I'm, i'm not really sure like they have more like other kind of baked goods like they have brownies and I'm trying to think of the other things I had they had another cake kind of thing I think and then it's more like I don't think they're necessarily mainly desserts right um, they just yeah, happen I'm to not, be very good at them <laughs> yeah yeah the cake was just excellent so oh that's awesome so yeah what a good week of treats what I know, an amazing kind of, time this week <laughs> I know yeah ladies literally lady die amazing desserts yeah uh-huh. so life fun. is good yeah life is good Thanks, well everyone Marty. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and learning about this absolute icon. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of like, especially when the crown first came out, I don't even, I didn't even watch the crown, but there right. were just so many TikToks about her. That I was right. like, Oh, I'm obsessed with lady Diana. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I think that'll hold true forever now. So yeah. anyways, everyone, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Um, if you're able oh, no. to, what is it? Follow us on Spotify. Like us on SoundCloud, follow us on SoundCloud, leave a review on Apple. <laughs> Any of the above would be thrilling for us. Yes. And cheers. Cheers. Good day, Bye. mate. <laughs> Bye. Good day. <laughs> Australian. Australian. Australian.